though we definitely do not delight in the death of innocents that may also have suffered during the plagues. Nevertheless, we do desire to see the wicked punished, and that desire is bound up in the belief in a just and providential God. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 180, Av Harachamim and the Book of Joel. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. One of the most haunting of Jewish prayers appears in the Ashkenazic liturgy and is known by its opening words, Av Harachamim. It was composed at the turn of the 12th century, and it describes the murder and martyrdom of Jews. We have sent you the text of it, along with this version of the translation. The Father of Mercy, who dwells on high, in his great mercy will remember with compassion the pious, upright, and blameless, the holy communities who laid down their lives for the sanctification of his name. They were loved and pleasant in their lives, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions to carry out the will of their Maker and the desire of their steadfast God. May our Lord remember them for good, together with the other righteous of the world. And may he redress the spilled blood of his servants, as it is written in the Torah of Moses, the man of God. O nations, make his people rejoice, for he will redress the blood of his servants. He will retaliate against his enemies and appease his land and his people. And through your servants, the prophets, it is written, Though I forgive, their bloodshed I shall not forgive, when God dwells in Zion. And in the holy writings it says, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let it be known among the nations in our sight that you avenge the spilled blood of your servants. And it says, For he who exacts retribution for spilled blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And it says, He will execute judgment against the corpse-filled nations, crushing the rulers of the mighty land. From the brook by the wayside he will drink, then he will hold his head high. End quote. In an excellent summation of the history of this prayer, London's Rabbi Ivan Binstock tells us that, quote, Its origins lie in the wake of the First Crusade. Many Jewish communities in Germany were decimated as mobs found an outlet for their religious zeal in killing Jews before making their way to the Holy Land to wrest it from the Muslims. Thousands of men, women, and children lost their lives in the communities of the Rhineland. Mines, Varms, Spire were ravaged over the course of a few weeks as the Crusaders made their way down Europe, end quote. Azariah Binstock, or Dian Binstock as he is also known, further tells us, the prayer was then applied to commemorate other events because the Crusades, alas, was not the only period in which Jews were murdered. Quote, Most of the killing of the First Crusade took place during the spring, corresponding to the Jewish months of Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan. The martyrs were commemorated in volumes known as a Memorbuch, Book of Remembrance. An anonymous author composed a communal memorial prayer, Avarachamim, to be said in association with the recital of the names in the Memorbuch. The prayer was originally said on the Sabbaths between Pesach and Shavuot, when the massacres occurred. As the Black Plague swept across Europe during the mid-14th century, annihilating nearly half the population, Jews were taken as the scapegoat and were accused of having brought about the plague and were persecuted and killed. Many hundreds of Jewish communities were destroyed during this period. As a result, many more names were added to the martyrs' lists, and Avarachamim was recited on other Sabbaths as well. Two main customs arose. To recite Avarachamim on most Sabbaths of the year, unless it was a Shabbat of heightened festivity, or to recite it on just two Sabbaths of the year the Shabbat before Shavuot, representing the culmination of the First Crusade persecutions, and the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av, representing the culmination of the persecutions associated with the Black Death. End quote. This is then a prayer to request that God not forget murdered Jews and that their deaths be avenged by the divine. And one of the central verses in the prayer where the liturgy references your servants the prophets is from the prophet that we study, 
which allows us to understand how and why Jews remember their murdered brethren and how Jews approach history itself. Like Ezekiel, and like passages in Zechariah that we will soon see, the prophet Joel gives us an apocalyptic vision wherein the enemies of Israel rise up against God's people and are ultimately defeated. In the description of this defeat, Joel gives us a verse that is central to and serves as one of the inspirations for the Avarachim in prayer. These are the final verses of the book of Joel. So ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. And then we have the final verse of the prophecy of Joel. Viniketi damam loniketi, vadunai shochein b'tzion. This is a verse that can be rendered in slightly different ways, but I prefer something close to what we have given you in the Avarachamim translation. Though I forgive, God says, the blood of the innocent I will not forgive. In other words, the forgiving God will not forgive unrepentant, egregious, evil murderers, and the blood of those that were murdered will be avenged by God in the name of justice. Now, of course, the prophet Joel, in describing the enemies of Israel, does not speak of the destruction of these nations, but only of the destruction of the evildoers. As we have seen, Isaiah describes the former enemies of Israel joined in the end of time to the God of the Bible. But the sentiments of this verse are central to the Jewish moral worldview. And, as I have noted in several articles and commentary, the perspective that Joel and the Avarachim in prayer give us expresses the unique way that Jews speak of their murdered brethren and about evil in the world. Thus, in contrast to the usual phrase that we tend to apply to the departed, zichronam livracha, may their memories be a blessing. When a Jew is murdered for being a Jew, then what is said is different and starker. We say, Hashem ikom damam, may God avenge their blood. This is a reminder to us to see the slaughter of a Jew not only as one terrible, tragic moment in time, but as part of the story of our people, who from the very beginning have had enemies that sought our destruction. To say Hashem Yikom Damam is to remind all who hear us that there is a war against evil in every generation, and we believe that in this war God is not neutral. It is therefore, we believe, inappropriate to merely say of murdered Jews, may their memory be a blessing. We must treat their deaths differently than most, and say instead, May God avenge their blood, because to do otherwise is to ignore Jewish life, Jewish tradition, and the Jewish historical experience. It is this final verse of Joel, his statement, Their blood I will not forgive, that is cited by the Jewish codes of law as inspiring another Jewish tradition, which is that when a Jew is murdered for being a Jew, then, in contrast to the usual burial shrouds, we bury their bodies in the clothes soaked in their blood that was shed. The intent at least in part, is to highlight the fact that these Jews died because they were Jews. They were murdered because they were Jews. And we seek, therefore, to inspire the constant recollection of their murder, to inspire eternal outrage on the part of humanity and on the part of God himself. And in saying Hashem Yikom Damam, we respond by looking back to Jewish history as well as forward to a time when evil itself will be defeated. It is with this in mind that we can approach one of the most renowned and venerable traditions of the Passover evening, unmentioned in the Talmud but perpetuated for centuries, which is also linked to our prophet. 
During the Passover Seder, preceding our discussion of the plague, we reference Joel 3.3. God says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Dam va'esh v'timrot ashan, blood, fire, smoke. At this point, when we say these words, we engage in the removal of a bit of wine from one's goblet, and drip drops at each. And then, again, in the words that follow as we list the ten plagues. Most Seder participants today believe that this ritual illustrates that our joy at the Seder is diminished at the punishment of others. This is an explanation that is now famous, ubiquitous, cited by Jews devout and secular alike, and, as I wrote in commentary, it is utterly unfounded in Jewish tradition. In fact, the point meant to be made by the removal of wine is the exact opposite of what is assumed. One of the earliest documentations of this ritual is in the writings of the 14th century German rabbi Jacob Molin in his collection of Jewish tradition known as Maharil. We remove the wine, he writes, in order to express our prayer that God, quote, save us from all these and they should fall upon our enemies, end quote. The drops, in other words, express our desire that evil should be punished. Though we definitely do not delight in the death of innocents that may also have suffered during the plagues, nevertheless, we do desire to see the wicked punished, and that desire is bound up in the belief in a just and providential God. Thus the Psalms proclaim, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous, verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. As to the notion that the tradition of dripping drops of wine for the verse of Joel and the plagues reflects a diminishing of joy at this moment, the concept does not appear for more than a half a millennium after this tradition began. In an outstanding article in the Hakira Journal, Tzvi Rohn demonstrates that the earliest version of this explanation was published in 19th century Germany. It then made its way to the United States, where, as he writes, it, quote, resonated with the sensibilities of English-speaking American Jews in particular and was popularized through being presented as the only explanation for the custom in American Haggadot from the 1940s and on. This explanation, he continues, came to be seen as more humane and understandable than the original explanation. End quote. The problem is that this explanation is not more humane because we need reminders to focus on and celebrate the defeat of evil. This is why the final eating of matzah at the Seder is followed by another plea for punishment. Pour out thy wrath upon the nations that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. Here, too, this controversial sentence is misunderstood, but it is elucidated by the verse that follows, For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. The reference here is not to all nations, but to those who have sought to destroy the Jewish people. It, too, is a plea for the punishment of the wicked. What is interesting and what is largely missed is the significance of the paragraphs that follow the Haggadah after that point. What we see are many psalms and liturgies of praise that are largely not about Israel at all, but rather about a time when all humanity will engage in a relationship with God. Hallelu Hashem kol goyim, praise the Lord all the nations, we read in the Haggadah. And we follow that with another stanza that is universalistic in nature. Nishmat kol chai tivarech et shimcha, we say. The soul of every living being will bless your name. The drops of wine are today misinterpreted, but there are profoundly universalistic elements to the Haggadah. The first part of the Seder focuses on Israel and its enemies. Thus, we intone that in every generation they rise up against us to destroy us, and God saves us from their hands. Yet the Seder is concluded by emphasizing our shared humanity, looking forward to a time when war will cease, but we emphasize through the order of the Haggadah that this will occur precisely when evil 
is defeated and destroyed. The moral vision of Joel, the way we remember our martyrs, and the essence of Jewish hope are all combined in the immortal words that bring the Seder to its close. Next year in Jerusalem. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.